Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others are looking to enrich their children's Jewish knowledge. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school age children receive online lessons each week through the Google Classroom and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Navi play and study Chumash Breshit and Navi Shoftim or in the Mishnah and Gemara play where we're learning Mishnah Rosh Hashanah and Gemara Arvei Psachim or both. Now is a great time to register your child for Kita for the coming school year. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's Kita, K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly. We are recording yeah, now, are we not? Molly, are we recording? Yes. <laughs> oh, it's that's like good. Okay. I heard it a little bit too loud, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. How little too loud we could deal with. Baruch Hashem. Well, Molly, how's that new computer of yours going? It's wonderful. It's great. <laughs> it's working. Well, we're in the middle of a long discussion about yeshiva food and technical support, but Baruch Hashem. Okay, welcome back. We're here back after the summer. I hope everybody's doing well. I'm, my name is Ruvain Spolter. I'm here with Harav Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harav Johnny. How are you? Shalom. I'm good. Great to see you both and great to be back. Ah, welcome back. Okay. Um, any new jobs for the, for the year or you, any, anything to update us on? Some new initiative? You've got 52 coffees, 40 quotes for 40 days. You're writing a daily, uh, daily, uh, a daily um, um, Dafyomi. Dafyomi. A weekly parsha. Sign up for Johnny's newsletter, Johnny JohnnySolomon.substack.com or something like that, right? VirtualRabbi.substack.com. Mm-hmm. What? Well, just uh, Johnny Solomon. Yeah. Apart from all all of that, you got to be doing something new. I mean, you, you're, you're, otherwise you'd be bored. I'm, I'm helping a couple of people, and uh, thank God the virtual rabbi work is growing. Uh, and trying to learn a little bit and teach a little bit. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. And we have the Rabbi Molly Bravsky, who yes. is literally <laughs> falling apart before. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. In, yes, I am in my infirmary. Yeah, I don't need to yeah. laugh. It's a little I broke my shoulder. Yeah. I'll tell everybody. I broke my shoulder. And then I fell and I injured okay. my back. So I'm like, just. Thank you. And I haven't eaten breakfast yet. It's on the mend. So I'm extremely I hungry, which is also a physical. Uh, so Ma- Molly was complaining I'm about food in my mind. I'm not complaining about food in my mind. She said, I'm Wednesdays. And some of us don't appreciate milk Wednesdays. But they, they don't do. have like a vegetarian so option for the, so non, for the lactose intolerant. So they all those MMY students or colleagues, next week, free. can you please make sure they that Rabbanit Mali Bravsky on Wednesday exactly. gets a second scoop of tuna fish? Can we, can we yes, make sure she gets two scoops of tuna <laughs> fish? <laughs> okay. <laughs> just go. Okay. Um, uh, um, so are you doing anything teaching new? Are you still teaching work, social work? Supervising, private practice, teaching at MMY, social working at MMY. Yes. Oh, Baruch Hashem. So it should be a, matzli- a, a very matzliach year. I am doing anything new. Oh, 
I just submitted my master's oh, dissertation in wow. Barry Lowe last night. Wait, this is like about the extra or something? Wow, Mazalto. This is about the etrog or something. Okay, it's not about the etrog. It's about the development of the halachot of the Arba Minim and Ashkenaz, Nimei Abinayim, in English. Congratulations. Okay, so uh, if you are one of my readers, give me a good grade, please. In English? Please. I How did you get to write it in English? Uh, <laughs> if one of, you're allowed to, technically, you're allowed to write anything. Uh, a master, it's an official language. You're allowed to write it in English. And I did for many years. <laughs> it was almost never ending. I would like to personally thank my uh, advisor, Professor Pinchas Roth, who during the time I was writing this, he became the head of the Talmud Department of Bar-Ilan. It took that long for me to write this thing. Um, we endured COVID. He's an amazing, amazing advisor. So if you're interested in learning Talmud and looking for an amazing advisor, go to Professor Pinchas Roth. I'm not sure he's looking for more students, so sorry, Dr. Roth, if you're not interested. Um, uh, I am the... We, we actually are starting to, some really exciting things at Herzog Global, just to log roll a little bit. Our Rimonim teacher training program is full, Baruch Hashem. So 20, more than 20 teachers from literally around the world, from Irvine, California to Melbourne, Australia, will be studying with Herzog Global, uh, becoming better teachers, improving their professional training. Plus, in October, we're starting, we have, a, we have a slate of four new courses, among which, Johnny, you forgot to mention, Rav Johnny Solomon is teaching. What course are you Hello. teaching? Can you tell them a little bit about your course? A course about uh, Rabbi Sachs' nice. methodology and learning and teaching Chumash. Exciting. Really interesting. So if you were, let's say, a Lubade Kodesh teacher who wants to include Beautiful. thoughts of Rabbi Sachs, so you probably should register for Johnny's course because it's cheapo cheap for academic courses, you know, subsidized by United. And I happen to know that the person who's giving the course is an expert on the teaching and the thought of Rav Sachs. So I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward for that course. It's really a quite, quite a Me great too. course. Okay. Um, so today we thought each of us would share some of their, a thought of theirs, that, that, that something that um, they wanted to talk about. We call it getting on our soapbox. I think the last time we did the soapbox was like two years ago. So, Molly, do you well, want to get on I your like soapbox to. first, since you're full of, <laughs> since you're full and and, and feeling good, <laughs> and, and, and you know I mean? or you want I would me like to do you my to do soapbox. your soapbox? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you soapbox, soapbox that, like, I could just like <laughs> extemporaneously, you know, like whatever. I won't give examples. Then I could probably do it. No, oh, no. Please, no. We're all ears. No. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Yes. Enough. Um, enough but I will. I will respond yeah, to your soapbox because I think that my soapbox will be related to your soapbox. Indirectly. So exactly. just imagine so I mean, the whole idea is that we're going to respond to each other's soapboxes, yes. right? And then after we do all those soapbox <laughs> things and take a break, we're all going to share you our favorite songs from our Elul playlist uh, as we all prepare mm. for Rosh Hashanah. So a little bit of both, a little bit of, uh, um, I would say, Indiana uh, Dioma, uh, and then a little bit of, of culture Indiana Dioma as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah. So I'm going to get on my soapbox. Imagine if we had sound effects. The sound engineer, can you add the sound effects now of the climbing on my soapbox? And uh, I would like to talk about a phenomenon that I've seen recently, two examples of in the, in the I would say I'll call it the, the English language Jewish press, where you have individuals in the, in the I would call it on the left-wing um, religious community who find the need to write about their and disassociate themselves from the religious Zionist party in Israel um, and, and do so in a way that I find very, very troubling. Now, I, I'm, I'm not insensitive to the fact that many people find mu much the tactics of 
and also some of the policies of, I'm not going to talk about, uh, uh, about you know, um, the far, far, far right. I'm not going to talk about um, um, Itamar Ben-Gvir, because I really understand how people could find Ben-Gvir like, off the charts. I really get that. But when it comes to the party of the Tzionuta Datit, the religious Zionist party, that party was and has long considered to, be in, to have been, you know, to the right, but certainly mainstream right. And somehow it now has, because maybe because it's connected to Ben-Gvir, or you know, because they ran together, it's now been labeled as, literally labeled as, a far-right party. So every time either Betzalus Smotrich is mentioned, or, um, or what's the name of the, the guy with the, uh, the, the legal thing? Johnny, help me out. Yeah, I'm going to Google. You sent it to us. Um, no, no, you sent it. Is it no, no, that the Prime Minister uh, disinvited? That's no, not Shikli. Shikli is a Likud, ironically. Shikli is a Likud. He's not a Likud. But I'm talking about um, another guy in charge of the of uh, legal reform from the religious Zionist party. Rotman. Simcha Rotman. Rotman. Right. So, so it always comes with far right or right wing. So I found this phenomenon really interesting that people who are writing in the name of Torah, right, they, they first of all write about how, well, the Torah is totally against these people. And then they quote, you know, something that they said. And with Smotrich, Smotrich did say something terrible and unfortunate about after the after the um, the the uh, the rampages Hawara. in in uh, in Chuara. Uh, he did say something terrible, and it should be condemned, and it was condemned. But of course, they always trot that out, even though he apologized. So they'll say he said this terrible thing, even though quote unquote parentheses he's apologized. But then, like they just what I found is. They, on the one hand, like to quote, let's say, Pirkei Avot and loving your neighbor and all kinds of different things about, you know, the Torah is against this party, essentially, quoting in the name of the Torah or quoting in the name of modern orthodoxy, using basically left-wing talking points to show how this person is not from my camp. He's michutz l'machane. And I find this personally very, very troubling. Now, uh, it's well known that I'm more to the right than my, my esteemed colleagues here. Well, maybe not Mali, but whatever. I'm more to the, I, I, I consider myself right-wing politically, but I certainly don't buy into to everything that Betzala Smotrich does or Simcha Rotman does. But at the same time, these, politi- these people do sometimes say things that are correct. And they do sometimes have policies and attitudes that are, that are appropriate, that are correct. They do represent an ideology. And I find this knee-jerk... Um, quoting of, of, you know, trotting out um, um, talking points about them that are publicized by the left in, in the name of the Torah, I find it very troubling. You know, the, the Torah is not right or left. The Torah can be quoted. I'm sure Betzal Asmochert can quote as many sources as you can in order to, in order to justify his perspective. And I think that trying to say in order to get, I think, bona fide, in order to, I, I guess, you know, embellish your cred and your audience, because these people in Chutzlaretz are so michutzla machane in the public sphere, because they've been labeled, so these, these people, these rabbis or religious figures, feel the need to distance themselves in the name of Torah. And my answer is, no. I, I think that Sometimes, just one example from from, uh, from one example from the political world. This is not a religious thing, but but it happens all the time. So Bitsalo Smotrich came out and said, uh, uh, you know, he was criticized roundly for refusing to, to release funds to Arab um, Arab municipalities because he didn't really say why he wasn't going to do it. 
But then, and he was roundly criticized, like literally all the Trump, all, all, the, all the talking points. He's a racist. We know he's a racist. Another example of how much a racist he is. And then people came out and started to realize there's tremendous corruption. There's tremendous mafia influences in many of these Arab municipalities. And Smotra was just trying to say, you know, if there's murder and there's crime, organized crime, maybe we should sort of cut off the financial spigot. But God forbid somebody would listen to what he's saying. We live in a world where all we do is we, we paint people in a certain light, and then we see everything in the, in the, in the terms of that, of that light. And I think we have to stop doing it, and I have to stop doing it, as much as if I do it on the left, to do the same thing to people on the left. But it's just a phenomenon. I saw a few articles about it. If you know what I'm talking about, you do. It's not worth mentioning uh, people who did it. We ha it I, I see it in the, in the modern Orthodox community who are, who are um, troubled by some things they say and therefore are unwilling to say, well, sometimes maybe they're right. Maybe there are things that they're doing that are good, rather than saying everything they do is terrible. And we come to, like, you know, we're coming to Rosh Hashanah and Johnny wants us to be a little bit pre-Yamim uh, Noraim. And one of the things we talk about is judgment. And we ask the Kadosh Baruch Hu to judge us for the good and, uh, and uh, to see us in a positive light. And I think that we have to stop um, uh, sort of, especially when it comes to uh, religious figures or political figures, labeling people and then deciding before we even evaluate what they do or what they say, whether we approve or disapprove of them. Just judge them for what they say and what they do, rather than seeing everything in the context of your, your, you know, you're reviling them for who, who you think that they are. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. I hope I said it in a way that wasn't too inflammatory. I know it was a little bit political. But one of the things, and I think I, I understand it's difficult, one of the things that the Religious Zionist Party did that makes life hard for everyone is it mixed religion and politics in, a, in the most explicit way. You know, if you were Bayit Hayudi, you could do it. If you were Mafdal or Dati Lumi, you could do it. But once you said Religious Zionism is a political party, I think people feel, I, I understand, they feel like, wait, you're a religious Zionist, so that means you identify with them. So then they need to sort of knee-jerk and say, no, they're not me. No, 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 they're not me. And in a way, maybe they are sometimes. And we have to own that as well. All right, again, I, that's my soapbox. Johnny, I'd love to hear your response to my soapbox and uh, your thoughts on, what it, on, on my little uh, rant, mini rant. Uh, firstly, I appreciate you ranting because I think it's important to let our feelings be known. And I think this is a kind of discussion which people will often prefer to silence. And even though we don't exactly share the same political worldview, I do believe that demonizing people, demonizing active members of the Israeli government and presuming we know them in their totality, because we know uh, a handful of positions which may not sit well with us, is often a step too far. And that certainly uh, smacks of a certain hypocrisy, where we ignore when we make these blanket judgment statements about people, and for our desire to keep our distance ideological with that person, we're prepared to throw them under the bus. And I don't just mean a singular person. Uh, I actually mean often a variety of people with a variety of positions. So it, no, no matter where you stand politically, a person should be able to clearly say, I strongly disagree with that person's policies. I strongly disagree with that person's statement. And yet I choose not to demonize them before they say anything because I've already made my mind up about who they are and what they think. I don't think it's a healthy way to have discourse, no matter that person. Uh, but, but I just want to actually focus on 
you mentioned that some of these voices, some may well be based here, some may be based overseas. You know, if you were to ask me to make a meaningful comment about American politics, of which I, I read a handful of comments once in a while, I'd say I can't really, because I don't really know enough, and so it's not my place to do so, and I don't feel that I can fill in the gaps of what I don't know. I think Jews, especially those who live outside of Israel, get very, very small snapshots <coughs> of what's going on and about certain people. And that's often reliant on media who have their own agendas. And so, at the end of the day, it's possible for a person to know a lot about what's going on here in Israel, but it's also possible to actually them not knowing that much, but them claiming to think that they can join the dots. And I think Jews, especially outside of Israel, feel that they need to have an opinion about matters, even when that's reliant on limited information. <clears throat> and I think that's a danger, because... You're taking a small set of data, a small set of information, and you're then painting a certain caricature, and that leads to demonization of people, and sometimes even demonizations of government, and that's not too far from demonizations of country. And so my word of warning would say, and, and again, I've spoken very clearly about where I stand politically, and this is not a, a support of this party, which I do not stand aligned with. But it's a general kind of ethic that I'd wish we all try and adopt, which is recognize that ministers uh, work in different offices and sometimes do good and sometimes don't. And they deserve the criticism, but they also deserve the recognition of what they do. And also recognize that sometimes you just don't know enough to necessarily make an absolute statement about the character or the politics of individuals for whom your talking points are a handful of references that somebody's taken often out of context and often in a different language. And I don't think that makes you necessarily in a position uh, to make those kind of statements, which, to be perfectly blunt, if you write uh, lengthy articles, online newspapers, about ministers in the state of Israel, which conflate certain ideas and demonize certain people, don't be naive in thinking that those can't be weaponized uh, in a very negative way towards our beloved country. So if you love the country of Israel, then do the homework before you speak out and try and recognize that there are things that should be said and there are things that should be said with a balance of other things that are going on, which perhaps you may or may not so be familiar as usual, with. I'm glad that I get to speak after Johnny says everything that I, you know, thinking so eloquently. <laughs> I'll just add a few things. So first of all, I want to just shout out Anne Gordon, who works for the Times of Israel, who I had an interesting conversation with after our last podcast, and she was talking, you know, she kind of pointed out that we should be careful when, you know, we're right even now, kind of with a very broad strokes, we're like painting in the media, social media. And the truth is that there are institutions of, um, um, uh, yeah, there, there are inst uh, uh, yeah, media institutions that really do work hard to get it right. Um, you know, may, it could be, okay, so that you could, I'm you sorry, know, Molly, places, I, out, if you want to make the Times of Israel, start, the I Times of Israel is, is the language of the Times okay. of Israel and, is and so And I had a very long, maybe we should call. I'll just read you a hard line. One. Shame on you. Likud bashes ex-Mossad chief apartheid accusation as slander. One second. They're, listen, they're one second. Are I you taking some topic. examples? This you topic is not whether the Times of Israel has that a certain one. This meaning. One right? part, I will tell you from people who work on the, time, on, on the Times of Israel is that they, they, they might have a certain leaning, but there is a lot of work trying to get 
things right and to try to not when they're when not when they're doing not opinion pieces to try to get the facts correct and i'm just saying that there are still journalists out there trying to do responsible journalism and i think that that was a point that was important to make because if we don't say that we are doing the same thing that everybody else is doing which is really what i want to talk about which is what really what concerns me which is the the culture that is being created now um as the old media is dying and the new media is 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 taking its place right and and i think that even if you do have a few papers of record or trying to be and you know succeeding better or worse that's not where the majority of the media is the majority of the media is online social media and it i that's what i want to talk about that's the soapbox that i want to talk about because it disturbs me greatly i think that there that there's a, a culture that is being created Wait, you're right, now i'm on my soapbox, soapbox but i'm saying i think it's soapbox. connected because i okay, think good, that good. There's permission being given on social media for certain ways, certain types of discourse that I think are corrosive. Um, it's um, I, I, it, it's they're, they're like it, it, the language is is um, um, like very. Still, I, I'm actually reading right now from an article. Um, and yes, I will be right wing, and I will tell you that this is Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Social media is part of pollution of the domain of public discourse. I'm only looking at it so I can quote to you what he says about um, a journal published in the personality journal, the, an article published in the Journal of Personality and Individual Distance, Dis Differences, entitled "Social Media Use and Personality: Beyond Self-Reports and Trait-Level Assessments." Okay. Um, Traits like narcissism, meanness, extroversion, and sadism use social media platforms like Instagram for longer and more frequently than w women without these personality traits, for example. Um, and it, what, something that he said, which I thought was interesting, which I don't know is, is, is I can't tell you definitively that, this, this, um, that he's right, but it hit me the way he said it. He said, a society can survive if it's sociopaths and psychopaths. Um, are kept to like, you know, under 3% of the society and their influence is kept to under 3% of the society. And what social media does is that it amplifies the voices of the, um, you know, call them trolls, call them narcissists, call them sociopaths, call them psychopaths. Again, I don't mean to be, you know, like I'm, I'm throwing around phrases that have psychological meaning and I'm not really <coughs> using them with their psychological meaning, but I think we all know what we're talking about. Um, I, we, I, social media definitely... Um, makes space for very, very, very ugly forms of discourse. Okay, that being said, I don't think that most of the people that I interact with on social media can be described as, you know, narcissists, sociopaths, and psychopaths. However, I think that there's a culture that's created on social media, maybe perhaps influenced by that, or maybe it's just, you know, related to that, where people just feel they have the right to be... Um, Prescriptive rather than descriptive, um, extremely obnoxious, sarcastic, cynical, and negative. And 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 I, I kind of got a reality check of whether I was crazy or not when I left a voice note for you about this. Um, and my daughter, who's 16 years old, was in the room and she listened to what I had to say and she said, "You know, Emma, I think you're right." She said because I realized that like this this is just like everything on social media, like like. It, it's not like, here's, you know, like when we were young, we read 17 magazines, 16 new trends for the season. Now it's Instagram saying, if you wear this, you look terrible. Don't, you know, um, you seven things not to do in order to, you know, like um, 
uh, you know, flourish in school. You know, or, uh, I, I, um, an example that I had, I told my daughter as an example, I was like, I never, when people wish me happy birthday on Facebook, I never write thank you for the birthday wishes. You know why? Because BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed told me that I'm not allowed to do that, right? BuzzFeed thrives in articles like the 15 faux pas you're making on social media, right? And it's like this definitive discourse, I think, is trickling down in a way that is extremely corrosive and ugly. And I think, and, and, and you can tell me it's just, oh, please, that's just how it works in the Facebook world. But I think that, I don't think it's coincidental that our online discourse is becoming increasingly intolerant and, and, um, and preachy, and our interactions are becoming, that, that, that are happening in the real world are also, things like that are happening as well. And the, the, the silly example I'll give, which is sort of political, and I'm pretty interested in both of your t takes, but a friend of mine sent me an article that Itamar Ben-Gvir's wife, um, who, I'll tell you why this was relevant, interesting to me, wait, I'll find the article and I'll tell you. She was, there was a, she, she's a, she's a, um, she's a Lashon teacher, she's a language teacher. She teaches language, teacher, okay? Yeah. And she was on a WhatsApp group with language teachers in the country. And there was a woman who left the group because she's on there. Now, ostensibly because she carries a gun, she, and she does carry a gun, um, but she's like, I cannot, in good conscience, be on a WhatsApp group if Itamar Ben-Gvir's wife is on here. Now, why did this strike a particular note with me? Because Itamar Ben-Gvir's wife happened to have been my son's Lashon teacher in Neve Shmuel. And if there, obviously, if there had been any time where she had said anything that any parent in the student body would have found objectionable or political or, or, or um, racist or offensive, that would have been noted and dealt with like that. Never happened. Right? This woman has been, this, she's just the Lashon teacher. You know what I'm saying? She's, everybody knows. Oh, um, I forgot her name. Uh, Ayala Benvir. You know, she's, it was a professional and group of she teachers. said she also got a lot of support mm -hmm. to people who wrote back to her and said this is outrageous but it's become like socially um acceptable for a person to say i don't like your husband so i will not uh, engage with you in a um um professional setting that has nothing to do with politics and i don't like some of your personal choices right because again she carries a gun and she wears a gun um, and that's enough for me to say, I'm out. I refuse to engage with you professionally on how we ought to teach Lashon. That, to me, is corrosive. And I think we're seeing it in so many places. And, and from, like, you know, that example to my daughter telling me that, like, you know, she's, she feels like she's being told definitively what, she, what and how she's allowed to, to dress. And look now, thank goodness she's willing, she's able to, 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 to see that and to pull back. To me being scared to say thank you guys for all the Facebook well wishes because I once, you know, oh my gosh, I don't, like, it's, it, it, it pervades our culture so profoundly and we don't even realize that it's happening. And it's, I, I think it's making us, um, we're, we're, we're dehumanizing people, we are censoring people, we're becoming less tolerant, we're becoming less kind, we're becoming, um, we're, we're, we're just bunkering down into, you know, tribes of one, which are ourselves. Maybe if we're, you know, maybe we'll let a few other people in if they all have the same, you know, if they all fit our group think. But the minute, you know, you step out of my group think, I'm perfectly comfortable telling you how terrible you are. And I just, I, I've, I've, I'm trying to spend less and less time on social media because I'm just so disturbed by perfectly lovely people who in real life would never 
behave the way they behave on social media, behaving in ways that are just, I'll just use the word rude, just rude and intolerant and unkind. And I think that it's going to erode our society. And that is my soapbox. Well, <laughs> you're not going to get me. You know how I feel about social media, even though I'm totally addicted to it in a way. And I use it, I really, really try to use it professionally. I mean, like, you know, I actually made a conscious decision to, and Johnny also uses it professionally all the time. I made a conscious decision to ste step away from politics and social media. I, I, people who have become, who, who feel the need to pontificate or write about, I, I just unfriended them. And my kids are like, you're not allowed to unfriend them. And I said, really? Who, what's, who made that rule? I, I, I could do whatever I want, you know? So I, 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 I totally agree. But Molly, it's more than that. What you don't, I think maybe you do realize or you don't, don't realize whether well, it was, I think, a Netflix documentary yeah, about that. the social networks. The social networks, mm -hmm. uh, it's not that they, they, mm -hmm. they unconsciously happen to encourage rude behavior. It. They are programmed to encourage negative, inflammatory behavior because, and they promote in their feeds behavior that's negative and inflammatory and hateful because so it the dopamine elicits response, a response. Meaning that the, on both meaning, ways, right? The, the posts, dopamine is, yeah. is um, you get a dopamine hit, people like you, and no, because you get it a, promotes a dopamine a hit when you get angry. Yeah. Correct. Because it promotes a psychological response, that promotes people you know, reacting to your feed, and that promotes people, people staying on the site. So they program, they literally give preference to people that have inflammatory language. Now, I criticize Times of Israel. Honestly, Times of Israel uses tons, you'll notice it if you read it, tons of inflammatory language. This one slams that one. This one attacks that one. Like, it uses very, very inflammatory language. And the reason it does is because it lives not through subscription. It lives through clicks. So it has to use inflammatory right. language in order to compete. Because otherwise, it can't survive. Okay, but again, but I, I want to leave aside good. like that's how... The, that's the reality. Yeah. Wait, what is that? Let me get back. So therefore, social media... By definition, trains us. It has. We are ten years in. It has trained us because it. It. We know that we'll only get a response if we're nasty or we're negative or we're inflammatory. If you write a, a thoughtful piece about Daf, Daf Yomi, or if Johnny writes a thoughtful piece about Daf Yomi, or and I write a piece saying, I can't believe today's Daf wrote a piece about you know such a negative thing about women. I promise you, I will get many more likes, many more views. And because that's the nature of the thing. That's the way that it works. And that's why it's so dangerous. And now you're seeing, it's interesting, Molly, you shared with us an article. Like, now people are not writing on social media. They're just writing articles on their, in their local newspaper about, I hate this, and I hate that, and this is terrible, and that's bad. You know, like, like exactly. how, how did we get to that? You know, how did we get to where, like, it's, it's, it's something that people want to read. I want to read your rants about X, Y, Z. And you can say, well, what are, what are yeah, we doing? That's what I wanted to, to say, well, finish. The idea here. is... Yeah, the, the, the importance of, of, uh, of talking about this is, I think my rant was about people judging other people, meaning, like, and I, I think that we all have to try to do it more. Like, I just wanted to respond to something you said before. If all you have to say is negative, you have to think twice. Like, think about something positive to say about a person. Like, you don't have to agree with anything they say, but you have to have one good thing to say about them. You, you know, uh, and if you don't have anything good to say, then you really should ask yourself, well, whoa, one, one second question yourself and and the same thing is like i think social media and the way that it's designed 
you know, we, we, it's a tremendous, tremendous, it's a tremendous problem. It's, it's affecting ourselves, but al-achat kama v'kama, our children, it's affecting them in such profound ways. You know, the statistics about, like, you know it, depression and, and, and anxiety, they've skyrocketed literally since smartphones became available. And I don't know if it's causal or not causal, but only an idiot would, could see the other, you know, it's interesting. In Europe, they're now, I don't know if you noticed, the EU is enacting laws about feeds. If I were in the government, and I'm not, and I don't have any power whatsoever, the one thing I would do is to, is to say, every social media feed has to, A, the algorithm has to be open, and people have to have control about what they see. Control about the things that they see, and not let, uh, not let the company control them. Because, th because without that, you will never solve this problem. It's, it's a really a tremendous, tremendous problem. And I think that the first thing we had to do is to be aware of how we're being manipulated. And to understand that, yes, if you're on social media, like you said, turning it off, I mean, for me, it's more of an option than I think, but I do use it to promote the teaching that I do, I, you know, very much to promote the teaching that I do. We use it all the time to promote the, the things that I do in work. And, and to be aware of how you use it and how it's using you. And if you use it for interaction, you can have really meaningful interactions with people. I mean, really good interactions with people. But you have to do it in such a conscious way. Because if you're just letting it take you, like in the middle of the night, you're like, you know, dead scrolling, it's just a destructive, destructive force. Johnny, your turn. Okay, so... Wait, didn't I'm you write a whole master's books. thesis on social media and, and young people? Didn't you write a master's? I did. Yeah. Well, about the usages of smartphones, that wasn't a comment on social media itself. It was about smartphones, and they're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. Um, part of it, by the way, was about saying we need to educate more effectively about the usage of smartphones. Smartphones themselves aren't trafe, but smartphones have to be educated to be used well. But social media obviously has since, uh, since uh, upped its game in various different ways. But going back to the theme that both of you have discussed, and, and I say I'll be a little bit more brief and then we'll segue to the music. Um, I mentioned that recently... Uh, well, actually, they recently started building a, a new development near where I live. I live near Kiryat Gat. One side of Kiryat Gat has been a huge development called Kalme Gat. A lot of people may have heard of it. Well, they're just starting to build Kalme Gat Ma'arav, uh, which is even nearer to where I live in Neven Shmuel. And Kalme Gat Ma'arav, there was a deal made. It's been slightly changed in, in recent years. But at the very least, half of that 25,000 uh, set of apartments is going to be Haredi. And... Um, and in local newspapers, we mentioned local newspapers, putting aside social media, there's been quite a lot of negative knockback. Now, I don't want to specifically talk about this development and the pros and the cons. And whenever there's big developments, there are obviously pros and there are obviously certain cons in terms of uh, uh, whether there is enough schools, whether there's enough uh, provisions, etc. But the, the way in which people talk about certain members of our society, and here I want to specifically focus in on Haredim, is often that same sense of demonization. Um, and a lot of people would say, well, they acted that way during COVID. I'd say, well, firstly, there's no such thing as they. I've always been very clear. There are many different types of religious <coughs> Zionism. There are many different forms of Haredi lifestyle. There's no singular they. And to claim that is itself just a real lack of nuance, a real lack of education. Um, beyond that, obviously, obviously statistically, uh, by 2048, I was listening to uh, a talk just yesterday on this point, you know, a, a sizable amount of Israel is going to, or <coughs> children's schools, are going to be filled with those from the Haredi population. And yet still, in the news, 
newspapers, social media, and on the street, there is this tremendous toxic bias and ignorance about a significant proportion of our society. And I'm well aware of the whole debate about army. I'm not ignoring the real, real issues that deserve real, real conversations. I'm aware of the issues about education. Obviously, I have a strong view on those matters. Still, I think we have too many people within our people, within our country, who are still the other. For those who are religious, it could be those who are less religious. For those who are uh, non-Haredi, it could be the Haredim. And, and we allow other people to control the narrative we had in our head about how we relate to those individuals. Uh, my family and I had a brief staycation a couple of uh, weeks ago, and we stayed in the Merkaz, in a place called Shoam, uh, where my family have, uh, have a place to live there. Uh, and we traveled around the Merkaz. We went to Kfar Chabad, went to Tel Aviv, went to Bnei Brak. These are places we go to occasionally. We often don't have time to just kind of schmooze and, and, uh, and walk around a bit. And one of the reasons why I picked those places is because they represent different communities to the one which we necessarily ideologically identify with. And just to remind ourselves that people of different communities have a human face, you know, and when you spend more time there, that changes things. And if we remain distant and we remain ignorant, we become bigoted and we demonize others. And if we make the effort to get to know people different to us, so much more can be gained. And though a lot of people talk about pluralism, it's often um, on one side of pluralism rather than on all sides of pluralism, meaning paying attention to those, uh, shall we say, to the right or the more religious. That too is incredibly important and not just uh, Jews. We're also talking about non-Jews too. So my general soapbox, which is really kind of following on from what both of you said, is if we are ignorant of particular people and it leads us to make broad brushstroke comments, it's not good for us, it's not good for society. And I just want to finish my soapbox with a brief thought, which is the, the innate resentment, at times judgmentalism, and occasionally even hatred that we have for the other. That could be the political other, it could be the religious other, right? could be the financial, economic other, whatever. I don't know how we do tshuva for that. But when we come into, let's say, a synagogue, and there are people different to us, and we have a natural reflex of judging them, surely that's not right. And part of tshuva is about trying to overcome those presumptions of guilt, even with people who are innocent, presumptions of bad, even with people who are good, sometimes even very good for that matter. But it should be on our mind, how do we get beyond this bias so we can actually see the good in others? Because if we want to be treated with well, if we want our good to be recognized, we need to do that with other people too. Okay, I totally agree. Beautiful thought. Beautiful, beautiful thought. All right, we'll take a quick break. And then we'll come back with our uh, music recommendations for Elo. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, 
I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, okay. Molly, we'll start with you. Give us your three, um, I guess, however many you want, two or three. We'll limit it to three. Okay, um, I'll tell you. I, will say, I want to say playlist? that, uh, just to say one more, I agree with every, every single thing Johnny said. Um, I feel very strongly about the anti-Haredi demonization. Um, but I also want to say that there are plenty of people who do not feel that way. And it's really a question of whose voices we, we amplify, mm. who controls the narrative. Um, you know, we can, and, that, and that's also part yeah. of social media, right? We can be horrified by the woman who, you know, I saw some article who, like, you know, called up and said, how dare you have this clarity in your, you know, young child, give her a free stay in your zimmer. Or you can read, um, you know, something by Stephen Ravmeir about, you know, how, how wonderful this, you know, meeting was between a Haredi and a Chiloni and how they, you know, became best friends. There's, there are plenty of people who are not buying this. And I think better amplify that. And I think John is also right. Like, Ruby, you're talking how do you counter it? I think go, go back to core Jewish values. Like, core Jewish values are like, you know, this is, you know, mm -hmm. not a Jewish quote, but I think it, it could be and it should be, which is like there are three rules in life. Rule number one, be kind. Rule number two, be kind. Rule number three, be kind. And I do think that that's like the heart. I, I think that like if we all behaved that way, there's plenty of room for, for a courteous disagreement and there'll be plenty of room for different approaches to life. But if we, we were all just a little bit more focused on that being the first thing I do before I go to my critique, um, I just think so much would shift in the way that we communicate with each other. And that would then spread the you know, important ripples. Okay, so my songs. All right, so one second, I have to find my little list. Just for our listeners, right, we don't have music rights, quotes, so we're okay, not sure so, any so or anything the, like that. Okay, but I'll find the, the lyrics, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I want to start with Echad Vilatamid by Yishai Ribo. Um, just because, let me see if I can find the lyrics. Um, hold on. Do you have it? So I, Ali shared her recommendations. I actually listened okay, to cool. the, the, her songs today during, when I was in the office, so I put them all on. It's beautiful. And it's it's mamash. It's one. like, it's, um, it's a song... Um, it's a song that I think expresses um, really the experience of, of, of what Elul should be. Um, basically what it said, it basically describes um, the human experience in which I think many of us, the state in which many of us come to Elul, which is the sense of like, God, I tried and I messed up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I know that, and, and like there's a part where he says, and we all do that. We all read like all that. Remember how like you're not supposed to say, I'm going to sin, and then I'll, I, you know, right now, and I'll do tshuva, and then I'll, you know, and if you say, I'll, I'll do tshuva now, but I'll sin again, and then we all do it. Um, we all make those same mistakes, and we do the same, the same sins, and, you know, um, this is one of my favorite lines. Um, right? Once again, God, I ran away from you like an idiot, right? Um, I, I ran into into the mountains and I and I built 
powers and 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 uh, strongholds against you and the truth is that i'm really embarrassed and i think that's such a powerful description of how, i think how we feel um i think we become we 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 be, basically i think in life we can be theocentric or we can be anthropocentric to use Soloveitchik's perspective right we can be focused on serving god or we or if and if we don't we end up being focused focused on ourselves and we all do it and we all do it and then we come back to Elul and we're like oh we're right what i really want and i think this is also what's what's um what's so powerful about this song is like what i really want what will make me the happiest is if i get in line with you god and then, he, and then the the the, the pismo the theme, and I'll end with this. And he would say, "Lasso itzoncha kertzoncha," which is, I think, a play on our sech kertzon no kertzoncha. Kadeshu hu yasek itzoncha kertzon no. Right? Make God's will your will, so he'll end up making your will his will. But the point is this idea that, like, I just want to get in line, God, with what with being the person you want me to be, because it, it'll be better for everybody. It'll be better for me. It'll be better for the world, and it's what you want. And I think this song so beautifully. And so purely reflects that impulse in Elo. It's like, I just, it's not about guilt, and it's not about shoulds. It's about, I, I know that I'm happiest. I'm speaking I now for the general human condition. When I'm, when I'm serving God, and when, when God is the center. And I, the, the, I have to get past all of the barriers that I've put in the way that are, that are ego-based, and just try my best to break through those so that I can come clean to God. So that's that song. The other two I'll make much shorter. They're, they're both Haram and Ari songs. I'll, I'll, I'll say them very, very quickly. One is called Acharecha. It's beautiful. It's from his newest album. Um, mm-hmm. Ruby actually mentioned this on Facebook. This new album is wonderful because it comes after Haram and clearly went through a dry spell, an emotionally difficult spell, and he, he throws it all out there. He, it's all, he writes it all out. It's in all his words. It's in all his songs. It's in all his music. And this song, Acharecha, he says, like, some of the words here, some of you can find the words, is like, I'm tired of screaming Ayeka, which to me is interesting because I wonder if he was playing off of Shuli Ran's favorite song, famous song, Ayeka. He's like, I can't, God, I can't even scream out to you any, anymore, but I'm, I just want to follow you in the desert. right? I just want to follow you. I feel like I can't find you. Your, 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 um, Footprints are hidden from me. I can't find you, God. And all, and I know, and I'm miserable. I'm miserable in this desert, and I just want to be able to find you again. And I think that that, again, is a beautiful, beautiful re- um, reflection of how we often feel, right? So, like, we all get to those places where, like, it's so dry, and you want to want, and you can't even want. Um, and But underneath that is still that, that, that other piece that the other song reflects, which is, I, I know that really my happiness will be when I, when I find your footsteps again, God, and I, and I figure out how to, like, how to find you. And I'll end with the third song, which is called, it's either called Yesh Kanyo Termizeh or Yesh Bio Termizeh. I think it's called Yesh Kanyo Termizeh, but he uses both lines in the song, um, which deserves its own half an hour analysis of the song. I'm thinking of actually using it in a course that I'm going to be giving or in a, in a, in a share I'm going to be giving. But the point of the song is, is this dichotomy between um, the parts of us that are physical, that are ego-driven. And then he just says, but there's more here. I know that there's more here. Right? And then he, talk, he basically says, like, you know, Adam lehevel no lad. Sometimes we feel that all we are is this, is this um, you know, 
Hevel Havalim, like, what's the point of life? And, 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 and are we, you know, what are we accomplishing? Right? And he's basically turning inward and saying, I know that there's more to me. I know that there's a spiritual side to me. I know that there's a side to me that matters and that has meaning. And again, I think what he's saying is, that's the side that's, um, that serves God and is connected to God. And so for me, all those three things kind of connect together in, into Elul. And again, what, is, what they say to me is that tshuva is not about guilt and it's not about shoulds. It's about my happiness. I, I want to go back to that place where I'm most happy and, the place, and, and, and I'm most fulfilled and I'm most self-actualized. And I know that that place is the place where I figure out how to best be in tune with, with Kaddish Baruch Hu. So those are my three recommendations. Thank you very much. Um, okay, Johnny. Okay, so firstly, as a as a Svardi who's been attending at least some slichot, my Elul playlist is slichot. That can sound silly, but I don't need a playlist. I go to slichot and we sing slichot, and that fills one's heart and one's mind every evening, and it really changes the way you go through this month. Uh, and I say that seriously because when I when we had this exercise, I lis- listened through my playlist. I listened to music the whole time. I play music. But still, songs relating to Elul are practice songs. They're songs which are choreographed. And my Elul shouldn't be practiced, shouldn't be choreographed. It needs to incorporate that kind of that uh, scream that is often heard in the authentic Slichot settings. And so... So, Slichot is the true playlist, but then I thought, okay, but we are going to go and uh, uh, make some recommendations. What are they? So, I actually decided to focus specifically on songs relating to the words of the Slichot, and and I began by saying Chamol. Chamol is such a beautiful song, uh, but I didn't have any particular favorite version, but it certainly would be on my Elul playlist. So, I actually listened to about 30 <coughs> different versions. <laughs> Well, come on. Some are more come Ashkenazi, on. some are more. You got you to own who you are. Kind of, you uh, want to do version, I can respect that. But, uh. No, 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 no. They're all that tune. <laughs> no, but some are more tender, some are more kind of pushy. And, you know, I had to find the, the one that really more spoke to me. And, uh, and some are more Chazanut. Um, I don't know if you've listened to Naftali Kampe. I don't know Naftali Kampe, but he, if you go on YouTube, Naftali Kampe, his version of Chamol is really, really beautiful, really delicate, and I very much enjoyed it. And so, of all the versions of Chamol, of which there are many, Yitzchak Meir has a nice version, but still, uh, I found Naftali Kampe is really... Uh, Yitzchak Meir uh, has a nice delightful. version of basically everything, just uh, just for the record. Nachon, nachon. But <laughs> it's be a little bit more right? instrumental... No, the point, I want to really hear the voice way beyond the instrument, but I also, I want to hear the instrument. So sometimes things are beautifully artistically done, but I say, yeah, that's great in a show, but I want it to be oh. the kind of chamal that I'd be hearing, um, kind of in a show absence of the, of the, uh, all the instruments. So that's one. Next, um, Natan Goshen's Kiene Kachomer is also really, really beautiful. I mean, those words... Uh, have spoken to me ever since I started praying them. Uh, you know, you talk about human vulnerabilities, but the way the song has to be sung has been a way that makes you feel that, that singer is feeling vulnerable in that moment. And Natan Goshen, I think, does it quite well. Um, and so, 
I, I recommend that too. And then, I, I mean, obviously, you got Ben Adam and Adonis Lichot, and as I mentioned, the real Bladius is a real singing, of which there's so many different types that it'd be uh, ridiculous to try and list them. But then I wanted to mention Gad El Baziz Hashem Melech, which is a very, very... Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we hear you fine. Uh, which, which, uh, which is a very, very, you know, jumpy song. It's used in songs. Um, and you might think, why? Because often in Yamim Noraim, we sing Hashem Melech in this kind of much more serious tone. But what is Gad El Baz? He takes Hashem Melech and he makes it a song that every Israeli, and truth be told now, I think most Jews around the world know those words. And when you're at like a bat mitzvah or a wedding, and someone puts on that song, and you look around the room, and there are hundreds of people, and what are they actually doing? They're proclaiming the kingship of God. It's gorgeous. And for somebody to take such sacred words and put it in a way which leads so many people to feel that they not just can sing those words, but wish to sing those words, is, is majestic. I don't know if I'd necessarily want to hear it in the tefillot of the Beknesset itself, but I know that he added life to those sacred words, so that those sacred words are heard in many moments in life. And that itself is a beautiful thing. Oh, Very beautiful. So I'm going to share two songs, um, similar to Johnny. I share the songs, the songs that I listen to are the songs that are so meaningful to me, uh, in the in the davening, you know, you know, basically from davening, things that I, I that reflect the meaning to me. So my first, I have two classics. My first is Ochila Lakel, which is um, there's you know there are many versions of it. And Yishai Ribo did a version of it. I like the classic version. The best version I could find was done by Avrami Rot, who's a Chazan, and he did it on this crazy uh, CD called Zitz Two. I don't know, it's a live version. Yeah, unbelievable. Every I, I I can listen to it over and over and over again. Hashem's beside. Beautiful. Anyway, okay. I just love that song. I love it so much that my children won't let me sing it throughout the rest of the year. I can only sing it, you know, on Sudashli sheet uh, uh, during Elul. But I have to now invoke. I have to. I have to bring that back. That's number one. And the other one is the classic Kilo Tachbots Bemotamet. You know, that, we're, mm. that we sing right after Unitana Tokev, the end of Unitana Tokev. So there's a version of Kilo Tachbot that's sung by, there's not many versions of it. Uh, Shlomi Daskal did a version, but I found one by Yeshivad Yushalayim Litzirim, Yashlats. They did a version of it also. But for me, um, just the, the words are so emotional. You're in the, after Unitana Tokev, like for me, like the, I, I don't think the highlight is Tshuva Utfila Utzdaka. I think the highlight of Unitana Tokev are these words. Mm-hmm. Where you know we're talking to Hashem, and you know, and the, the highlight of the song is Emat Kiata Hu Yotea Yitzram. Right? You know our Yitzra, Kihem Basar Badam, that Hakadosh Baruch you created us, but you created us as you as, as as flesh, as flesh and blood, and you created us to make mistakes. And and after after Chuva and Tvila and Sadaka, we said Hashem, but in the end, we're just human beings, and, and we know that you know that. And the beauty of that song, it just it moves me all the time. And, you know, I find it very, very moving, very beautiful. And that really, that song gets me, gets me very much in the mood of, of Elo. So those are my two big recommendations. I got others, but those are my two big ones. The Before we start, Molly, I just noticed it's very interesting that you picked modern songs. And you obviously resonate with nothing wrong. It's all fine. But obviously, you know, I'm sure you're into the old songs too. But 
Do you think there's a reason why the, the modern Israeli songs I speak think, to you more than the old-time Hasidic songs? I think always. Like, I have this LO Spotify playlist, and as you said, the first, like, you know, 40 minutes, if or not, or longer, is, is all of Yitzhak Meir's versions of all the classics. And there is also the Yeshivat Etzion, Baron Yachad, which is, mm-hmm. Baruch Hashem, that they did this, but I don't know how many years ago. Rami Anai, who is a chazan in Yeshivat Haritzion for many years, and Rav Amital sat down with a bunch of yeshiva guys and they recorded with an accordion so you know it sounds good old 1970s yeah um yeah, i listened to it my preparation yeah it's amazing it's called baron yachat because oh, yeah. one of the songs amazing. is um is, is that song which uh yeah. oh delica uh, see i'm not yeah. a Krishnik, so i don't i don't so have, believe I don't, me that's all there the that stuff is yeah, all there but i think this year again i had a tough summer <laughs> you know and like there were other things that happened that i didn't mention i had a tough summer yeah and so um, these songs, I was looking, I, it's, I'll tell you, the, I'll, I'll share, I'll share this with you, the two of you and the rest of the world, right? It started with, like, I kept telling people that the, my, my theme song for the summer is Ma Tarot Semimeni by Hanan um, by, um, Ben-Ari, where he basically says to God, like, what do you mm. want from me? Like, I can't anymore. Like, that's literally the song is called Ma Tarot Semimeni. And he just screams, Ma Tarot Semimeni, Ma Ma, like, what do you want from me? Um, like, why do you even give me a soul? This is too much. I can't deal with this anymore. Um, so, yeah, like, God, summer. just like, be nice to me. Like, yeah, what the heck do you want from me anymore? And it was like, there were things, there were other things that I didn't mention. I wasn't able to go visit my father in America. Yeah, and more things. Um, so, so from there, I basically, I said, it can't be just that, right? I, I, need, I can't stay in that place. And so like, and then I went to, I, I listened to his new album and I found this Nacharecha very, very comforting. And I found this Yishkan, you know, Teremiza very comforting. And then I was once on Spotify and I just started listening. Like, I went like press play, you know how like it like gives you recommendations of song after song. And I just ended up hearing these mm-hmm. beautiful songs. I heard beautiful songs by Shuli Rand. I heard, I heard, as you said, I heard that, um, that Kikine I heard um, a lot of Yishai Rebo, and it just was like kind of letting the modern Israeli music speak to me. Um, and I think that, you know, it's just kind of bring it full circle. Like, you know, if what I said before is like we focus on the positive or focus on the people, amplify the positive voices, there really is that here. There's a lot of creativity here, but it's not just creativity, it's spiritual creativity. Um, and it it's cross, I believe, it's cross-denominational. It's not just in either Haredi or, or Dati worlds. And I think it's really very beautiful. Um, and Ruby, I just want to end with one more point and I'll stop with that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I want to say one thing and then you can end. Oh, oh, I, like, it's interesting. I, I did, I mentioned, I wanted to mention, there's a, the Hanam and everything that speaks to me the most is a song called yes. Tzvray Lev. Which, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to listen before it? the podcast because you mentioned it, but I don't know it. I'll have to listen. Yeah. It's a, but it's, it's, it's a gospel theme. It has a gospel theme about broken hearts and that God is forgiving and it, that song I just I, I find it so moving it's so beautiful and so maybe add that yeah sorry, I you wanted to, to say one more thing one before point, we finish exactly. um, w- w- something that you said I thought touched me very deeply which is that God knows that we're imperfect um, I was just listening to like a, a mindfulness meditation this morning about imperfection and um, basically what it said was like if we deal with our imperfections properly which is to come to ourselves with compassion and understanding, like you said, knowing that we're human, um, and and accept our imperfections and then heal our imperfections. I'm not saying we stay with our mistakes. We heal them. But we heal them through an approach that's full of compassion and understanding and desire to do better. 
Um, so there's this very famous, again, famous among mindfulness people, but maybe you guys have heard it, um, about how the Chinese fix broken pottery. All right? So Johnny knows what I'm talking about. They take yeah. gold yeah. glue and they fill the cracks with the gold and glue. And then the pottery actually looks more beautiful than it did before it was broken because it has these beautiful pieces of gold. And I think the idea, the idea there is not just that you've made something more beautiful because you've, you've been broken and you, you healed, it's that you become unique because all of our imperfections are different. And therefore, if, if we all approach ourselves, it's kind of what you said, Ruby, if we all say, you know, Adam Yisodomi Afar, Misafoli Afar, and, you know, but God, you want us to look at ourselves and you want us to face our own imperfections. You want us to have compassion and understanding for ourselves and you want us to fill those spaces with, again, compassion for ourselves, with, which will then lead for, to compassion to, to others and to pushing ourselves to be better. Then we're all going to be, we're going to, we're all going to end up end up being unique individuals and we'll all be able to serve God in our own unique individual way, which I think is, is why we're here, right? We're not here to be other people. We're here to be ourselves and to maximize our individuality to serve God. And so that's what kind of came up for me when you were talking about that song. Wow. Okay. I think we're going to end it off with you. Actually, before we end up, I just want to thank you. I wasn't really into Elul. And then I heard you, you talked about how your, your, your playlist and you're listening. I'm like, yeah, I really should do that. And, and, just the act of building my own playlist and finding the music that's speaking to me, it, it, it is getting me into the, into the spirit of things. You know, we Ashkenazim, Johnny, don't have Slichot. And uh, I don't know. And, well, it's interesting. <laughs> and slichot, in my neighborhood, a number of young Ashkenazi guys have been coming to Slichot. I say, like, what are you doing there? They say, my daughter I always says come. to me, because she's like, up late. Yeah, what we, I'm, yeah. sure. I'm like, yeah. awesome, my dear. You know? Great. I mean, and, yeah. and uh, like, you know, for me, Slichot is about the punishment. It's more about the, uh, it's about the suffering rather than the, the it's not, it's not motivating, but I guess that's, I, I, that, that's my Slichot. That's the Slichot I want to have. Um, and, um, and uh, so just, I wanted to thank you for getting me in the mood, getting, you know, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm not ready for Rosh Hashanah. Go to Spotify and, and search for a playlist for Elul. There's a million of them and, and build your own. And, and get into the mood that way. So uh, hopefully this helped uh, a listener or two who's still with us uh, to get into the mm-hmm. into the spirit of of, uh, of the pre Yamim Noraim. All right, we'll stop here. We're like way over time. I want to thank Rabbi Nimali Brodsky. Thank uh, Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Thank my son for uh, the music. Thank Rabbi David Brodsky for his technical support. And uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you all next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.